mujeres gestoras. Mercedes Kashash is the artistic co-director for the Sunfest London Committee for Cross-Cultural Arts, which presents innovative global arts programming in London, Ontario. She has served as head of programs for Small World Music and produced the Global Toronto Music Conference, as well as the Emergence Music Incubator. She works in collaboration with the International Indigenous Music Summit and has been recognized widely for her contributions to a music scene. Hi Mercedes, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Jimena. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's very, very exciting. And I know you've been traveling and working a lot. So I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to make this time to, to meet with me today. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, let's just dive right in. Um, sure. uh, so um, Anuj just told our audience who you are, but I, I wanted to learn, hear more from you about uh, your background. What led you to become Mercedes Cachar? How did you become this producer? Because um, I know that in your in your past you you had other careers and other uh, in other fields. How how did this happen? How did you end up being the co artistic director of Sunfest? Yeah, well, I think it all just came down to my parents and their story of coming to Canada as refugees from Guatemala. Um, so listeners may or may not know about the history that happened in Guatemala. There was a coup d'etat, there was a dictatorship that was happening um, and the government um, was backed by the U.S. government as well. And they were what they were doing was that they were taking away indigenous land, completely committing genocide against the people in Guatemala. Over 200,000 people were killed and disappeared. Many people still haven't been found yet, um, including members of my family. And so my parents came to Canada uh, as refugees because their lives were in danger, uh, just because they were part of that movement and part of that resistance. And so they came to Canada to a city called London, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> so instead of going to Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, which would have been, you know, bigger cities that you would think that you would go to just because they're more cosmopolitan. They came to probably the whitest city in Canada. <laughs> what, why was that? <laughs> well, well, they were they were looking, the Canadian government was looking to populate this area. Um, but also, too, my mom just said, I just want to go somewhere calm. I just want to go somewhere chill. Um, and then while they were not facing any type of violence or, in, or life danger right away, it was definitely another form of violence that they ended up experiencing here, which was a lot of racism and discrimination. Um, and so with that, you know, my parents are educated people. They're university educated people. They were professors back in their home before they came to Canada. My dad was also a professional musician. And so they came to Canada, just like any other immigrant working odd jobs here and there, but trying to improve themselves. My mom has endless degrees, my father as well, endless de professional development. And uh, they wanted the same for my brother and I and my brother came at, at two years old, and I was born here. And so what they did was that they put us in this school French immersion, um, because they said, Hey, in Canada, people can learn French for free. Right. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Why not? Whereas most families are saying they think that that'll confuse the kid to learn more than one language. They're like, well, they're going to learn Spanish at home, <laughs> French at school and English everywhere else. It's going to be amazing. 
it was it was really good. And so, what what ended up happening is that we ended up going to a school that was not full of immigrant kids. It was full of white kids, and so it was my brother and I with like like maybe six other kids that were not white in the school of 400 students. So right away, it was kind of one of those things of feeling of otherness. And so that leads to my story of who I am now simply because my parents always had that that feeling like, well, we got to make a difference for our lives. And my father, especially, he started working odd jobs, but eventually landed a job where he was doing um, small events like poetry readings, lectures, maybe small concerts uh, for an NGO that was in town that was helping immigrants settle in. Uh, But his role was specifically to create these events in order to create community and see. And so what he was noticing was that, A, there was tons of immigrants in London, but they just weren't being represented in the larger scheme of what it was uh, when it came to like festivals, events, concerts, that kind of thing. Um, And then of course, him being a musician, music was the heart of what he wanted to work on and so and then eventually uh he wanted to create a festival because uh, essentially when you know you think about a multicultural festival you think of that kind of tokenization or uh you know that stereotype of what each culture is ukrainian culture indian culture mexican culture uh you know and thinking of like what those are and really uh, presenting more so community groups, which is great, but like traditional and not necessarily innovative, contemporary and professional quality acts, right? And so that's what he wanted to focus on. And so that's what led to starting the festival. I was eight years old during the first edition of the festival. So I went there and I had a cardboard box asking for donations because this festival is a free festival. The reason that he wanted to do it that way was because he realized that people weren't willing to take a risk to the unknown. And And also he wanted to make it accessible. And so that's essentially like what we continue to work on, you know, as a father daughter team, but also as a family, my mom helped out by working hard, you know, those long hours, those, those two, two jobs in order to put food on the table while my dad did his dream and like did started out this festival. And then uh, my brother helped set like setting up and all these things. And eventually like I kept helping, but I, I, I continued this, this route of, of following university. I was doing physics and math. I was doing engineering. Um, eventually that led me to my love for math and I ended up studying French as well. And so I ended up going down more like, okay, maybe I'll be a teacher, you know, thinking to myself, I'm helping my dad with his dream, but that's not necessarily my dream or I didn't want to feel forced or as if that was handed to me. Right. Inevitable or forced, right? Or predestined. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want anything like, I don't know. I kept, I had that, like that, that idea of like, I have to work for like what I want. And so like my dream is going to be being a French teacher or like a math teacher or something like that. And I ended up doing that for a little while. Um, And then I realized that wasn't really for me. And I still kept helping with Sunfest and my role (laughs) got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I ended up, you know, eventually being the site manager, planning everything of the entire site, which is like five stages and like the 250 vendor marketplace. Um, And then eventually I was living in France for a while. And what happened there was that this was back in 2008. And uh, my father was going to a conference in Europe and said, you know, I'm going to this conference. Why don't you come with me? Like you're living in France. It's just a, you know, a short plane ride over. I said, of course, why not? Like, you know, get to know that world. And, and that was more like the booking and discovery of artists and things like that, doing the networking. 
And that first year I was completely hooked. I was completely hooked. And I just said, look, this is what I want to continue working on. Absolutely. I still kept doing some marketing jobs. I worked for a global marketing company. I was doing like sports nutrition marketing and like health products, things like that, uh, which was kind of crazy to think about now. Um, and then and I was very lucky because at the time I had a supervisor who knew of the work that we did with our festival and with our year round concert series and outreach. And she said, anytime you need time off, let me know and just just go to your conferences and do because I know what you guys do for the community. And that was really great. I got very lucky in that sense. And so I kept doing both. But eventually, just <laughs> both jobs ended up going too crazy for me that I eventually had to pick. So I, I immediately switched over to nonprofit. I was starting to work with some theater companies in Kitchener. Uh, I was working with another uh, music and, you know, multicultural organization and Kitchener as well. Um, and so and I was also doing my Sunfest work. And then that was the most fulfilling work that I could have had and, and could have done. And so that's kind of what led me to eventually taking on a larger role with Sunfest and eventually co-artistic director. So I've been doing that now for about 10 years. Um, and so with, with my father, we like co-direct this organization where it's like booking the artists, but all the way to, you know, booking the party parties or something like that. Like it's, it's everything, you know, Very and glamorous. it's not, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Whereas like many places where you're the director of a, of an organization, you end up, you know, having other people do that for you. And it's not necessarily the case still at this point, but you know, we're 29 years strong for the festival itself over 30 years for the organization. And, you know, we do year round concerts as well, where we present acts that are coming from across Canada and around the world in different venues across London. We, do a lot of international outreach work with when it comes to like creating delegations, taking them to other countries so they can discover new music. Um, and then I continue my work as well with other projects as well and booking too, to make sure that underrepresented voices are presented on stage. So that's my main mandate. That's my objective in life at this point. <laughs> yes, so, you, yeah. you got ahead of me because I was going to ask, you know, what is your objective now, right? That, that it's not engineering or teaching French. You're, you're very clear about that. Um, when does Sunfest, when is Sunfest? on and when does it run and for how long does it run and how many acts do you usually have like what's what made us a picture of what that looks like Absolutely. So uh, it's it started back in 1995. So we're now in our 29th edition coming up this July. So it's always the second weekend of July about. Uh, this year it's July 6 to 9. And uh, we have four days with five stages, uh, 250 vendor marketplace, and it's all free and accessible to the public. Um, and that's on purpose because we want to make sure that the art is always accessible to families, to anybody from any kind of socioeconomic status that wants to access arts and discover new music from all around the world. Um, and we don't tokenize the, the acts. We make sure that we're presenting just acts that speak to us when we go see them. We're very fortunate that we get invited um, all around the world in order to discover these acts. Um, and so we bring them back. And it's very exciting for us to see somebody on stage in South Korea, for example, and then know that they're going to be on stage in Canada and see them on stage uh, in London, Ontario. So for those five four days, it's a big part for essentially the the city we take over downtown victoria park so it's right in the middle of the city so it's no one has to really drive anywhere unless they ha they're coming in from outside so we get about a hundred thousand people uh th coming throughout the four days which is incredible and, and back in 2019 we had um npr a, a, vir uh, 
a branch of NPR come through and check it out. And they just said that this was the biggest family friendly event that they had ever seen. And that's considering that we don't have a kid section. We don't have rides. We don't have carnival-esque type things. It's all based around the music, food, crafts that are there, but making sure that people are coming together through the music. So uh, you'll find there also like we collaborate with some uh, beverage companies. So there's beverage areas for people to go and and chill and hang out. There's music programs specifically for those areas. Um, but yeah, eventually it's just a big hippie fest. Yeah. <laughs> where people it sounds amazing. Or- I want to get on a plane and go. You are absolutely more than welcome. <laughs> so um, I have more questions about it, about your role in it. So do you, right. I, I know you, you were just traveling, booking, um, booking people. And I know that's a big part of what you do at Sunfest itself. Do you do programming? Do you do um, managing the vendors? Do you seek the funding to support it? Um, what other things do you do there? <laughs> Yes. So I would say that maybe half our job, if not more, is grant writing, sponsorship grant writing, reporting, interim reporting, budgeting. Like that is the biggest thing because it is a free festival. Our job throughout the year is to find the funding to make sure it stays free. Um, and so that's that's the biggest that's the biggest job that we have is uh, seeking funding from multiple levels of government, which in Canada, we're very lucky that we do have that. Uh, but that means a lot of work on our part in terms of writing these massive grant r- uh, applications and reports and things like that. Um, advocating to sponsors, we're very lucky. We have a big bank sponsorship, which is nice because you know we can use that money wherever it is that we need to use that money. Um, and then ultimately seeking those small sponsorships, private sponsorships as well. When it comes to vendors, that's a very important part of our revenue stream as well. And so we want to make sure one, that the pricing is accessible, but it also makes sense business-wise uh, for us. And it still continues to be one of the most affordable uh, events, even though we have tons of people that are coming to it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of that throughout our year is yes, planning, like the planning of this edition coming up in July hasn't been a year. It's been two, three, four years simply because of the booking of the artist takes a long time, especially when it comes to like, sometimes we act as agents ourselves because we want to bring a band from, I don't know, let's say Mozambique, but they need at least four or five other gigs in order to make the tour make sense. Or we have to apply for funding on their behalf or supply letters for them to apply for funding or all of the above. Um, usually it's all of the above. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it does take a lot of work to bring even one of these acts. We have a lot a great, great partnership with a lot of um, people in Colombia. So we're always presenting people or acts from Colombia because the music in Colombia right now is just so incredible. It's so innovative. And like you drive two hours and the styles are different and there's just an incredible amount of talented people in that country. It's fantastic. So if we wanted to make a festival of only Colombian acts, we could, we totally could, but we can't, we want to represent as much as possible. But this year, for example, we're bringing three and they're all incredibly different. One is like a traditional voice and tambor type of act. It's called Enkele. We have a Latin jazz group coming from Cali, Colombia, we have an Afro-Pacific group that mix, mixes like hip hop and reggae and new rhythms in with their traditional Afro-Pacific uh, rhythms. And like they have a marimba de chonta, like it's, you know what I mean? So it's all like, it's all different and beautiful. And, and that's what we want to present. We don't necessarily want to present traditional music, but it's so valid to do it. We want to present a spectrum of things. So that's kind of our job too, is to find that balance of 
what is it that we're presenting from all these different corners of the planet and all across Canada as well, because that's a very important component of our work because Canada is an incredibly culturally diverse country. And so many musicians have come from so many parts of the world and they have come together to collaborate on their own projects, which are now influenced by each other. And that's something that's new. They're creating new genres, essentially, which is something to discover as well. And uh, do you have repeat artists that come or do you always try to get different artists or is it a mixture of both things? It's a kind of a mixture of both. I would say that 90% of our acts every year are new. Uh, we present about 40 to 45 acts every single year. Each one plays at least twice throughout the festival, and that's on purpose. Uh, we want to make sure because we're bringing them from so far that we want to make sure that they're not just on stage for 45 minutes to an hour, that people get as, as much as an opportunity to enjoy them as we would want them to. And because we have so many fest- uh, stages going on at the same time, like sometimes you'll miss an act, so at least it gives you an opportunity to go see it again another time. Um, but yeah, so we do have some like some London favorites, we like to call them. And so we bring them from BC and from Toronto um, that are like our resident acts. Uh, Those are called like Five Alarm Funk, Lazo and Samba Squad. People just love them and enjoy them. So they're kind of our resident acts. Uh, But then everything else is brand new. And if we bring a repeat act, it's because they've gone in a completely different direction, had a new project come out, are doing this new sound. And that's something that we're really excited for them to discover. This is so. This is an incredibly complicated process, right? Ninety <laughs> percent of, of acts new every year is just absolutely incredible, and just and, and what you're saying is, I mean, you're thinking really carefully, and you're very intentionally about how you're curating the mix, right? And so you're curating from one year to the next. Um, and I know that even though this is incredibly complex and must keep you really busy, you're still working on other projects. Uh, so, <laughs> you're, so you're working uh, on the Indigenous Music Summit. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so I'm working with an incredible team. Um, their name are Shoshana Kish, Amanda Rayom, and Nicole Auger. These wonderful women, um, Indigenous women in Canada that are doing something for the first time ever, which is to unite people in person from across uh, North, Central, and South America, Indigenous descent people that are going to be together in Toronto, Ontario this week, actually. Um, and so, and so this is incredible. This is the first time it's ever really been done and they've been wanting, they've been doing their indigenous summit in pieces kind of throughout different, um, conferences as components to conferences, I guess you can say, or splitting them up, going across Canada in order to be as representative, as inclusive as possible. And this is the first time they're bringing kind of everybody together, uh, to do over 30 showcases to present, um, you know, dozens and dozens of speakers on different topics from from climate activism to an anti-circle rematriating spaces uh, to talking about how art itself is an act of survival. Um, There's just so many incredible ways in which that uh, this project is so unifying and it's so uh, it's trailblazing in its own right. So I'm just very lucky and fortunate to be part of it. They brought me on in order to help coordinate some of the programming, the speakers, the artists and things like that, which I do a lot for other organizations. I do a lot of artistic programming as well for other festivals. Uh, For example, I'm doing for uh, Taste of Danforth in Toronto this year, which is the biggest festival, outdoor food festival in Toronto. Over a million people go. Um, And they've never focused on the music before. So it was a lot of cover bands uh, that would be like kind of uh, complementing the music and the experience. So at this point, they brought me on in order to to have a different perspective on the artistic quality and to 
just go with like creative uh, support, supporting especially Toronto musicians because they're so incredibly diverse and and incredible, really incredibly talented. The, some of the best in Canada live in Toronto, and so just making sure that the those are represented and that we're reflecting the the neighborhood, which is the Danforth in Toronto, which is an incredibly diverse area. It's it, it was typically known as the Greek area, and it still is, um, but like uh, it's it's been just you know, taken over by everybody essentially. So that's the really nice thing is that we get to present as many uh, diverse cultures as we'd like. Um, so yeah, I continue to do that. I was working as well with Small World Music for a very long time in Toronto where I was head of programs. Um, there, what I did was that I was programming their festival, the Small World Music Festival. Um, I was also uh, their lead production for their Global Toronto Music Conference. So conferencing is, is another part of my heart that I love. I love bringing industry people together because they're the ones who are putting people on stage, whether it be the programmers, the techs, you know, the agents, the managers, et cetera. Those are the people putting people on stage. So they need to have a different perspective in terms of making sure that we're as equitable and as sustainable and as, you know, inclusive as possible on our stages and making sure that the industry goes in that direction as opposed to just presenting big commercial acts that are not necessarily as representative to people that that are supporting them right and they're not accessible at all as well either i mean i, I a lot of people are paying 800 a ticket to go see big acts and that's fine i respect that but not everybody can do that and we need access to the arts so i was doing that uh global toronto the lead production for that and then i was also their head for uh their emergence program uh, which was an incubator program for um, newcomer musicians, newly landed refugee musicians that come to Canada that were professional musicians uh, from whichever country they came from, but that came to Canada and haven't necessarily found that niche. And so it was a development in the sense of not their artistic skill, but more so their industry knowledge. So getting to know the granting system, getting to know how managers and agents work, uh, music supervision, how that works, how do you get a song on the radio, that kind of thing. And so we did some retreats for them. Uh, for them to just kind of bond and get to know each other. And what's been nice is that there's been results from that. There's been new bands formed, gigging musicians gig with each other now. And and that's a really nice thing that um, I, this year, since I'm no longer head of programs, I, I stepped away from that role in order to focus more on SunFest and grow that capacity. But I came on as a mentor this year, and it was really lovely to see just how it's evolved and how that program's gone. <laughs> so that, that was with uh, the, the one working with uh, newly arrived refugees. That was part of a small world. It's that was part of small world music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I, this is so interesting. I have so many things to ask you. Um, the <laughs> next thing I'm going to ask you is, well, I'm curious about you're working with very different kinds of people, very different kinds of musicians and very different kinds of approaches, right? The people in the Toronto music scene and now these newly arrived refugees yeah. who are professional musicians and you're working with indigenous uh, musicians and you're working with, you know, the incredible mix. Uh, what are the things that are in, that you find that are common in common for all no matter whatever artists you work with these are certain things you always keep in mind or there are that they have in common and what kinds of differences do you observe maybe between some of the groups i would say the i would say that the struggles are the same you know there's always the struggles that are the same in terms of like feeling underrepresented and feeling as though there's an inequity in the system which there is Um, And so I would say that that struggle is the same. So whether it's from different perspectives, it's still the same one of not being heard at the table or feeling like not being heard at the table because there's not enough representation. Um, And when I talk, when I think about like Latino culture, Latinx culture, um, 
it's the same struggle as well because it's it's largely underrepresented in terms of what it is. Yes, we might have this huge industry of like reggaeton that's happening right now, but and and that's great, but like at the same time that's not necessarily representative of like all of of the culture, all of the different genres, all of the different areas in which the people struggle and it completely doesn't talk about the struggle that Latin people, Latino people, like from Central America, especially have had to deal with and of leaving their homes and like having to go to other places, being displaced, that's massive, you know? And so there's been a lot of dictatorships that have happened in Latin America that, you know, all of us, we see each other as different, you know, Colombians versus Mexicans versus, you know, but we have the same struggles. You know, and so that's the same thing across with with a lot of these uh, like you know people from all over the world, from Africa, Asia, all over, these indigenous people. Something that's amazing that's happening in Canada right now is that the indigenous peoples are are getting their voices. They're re re uh, taking their lands. They're retaking their language. They're reappropriating everything for themselves and really setting, in my opinion, an example for the rest of the world of what could happen uh, when indigenous people really take the forefront, take the lead, and you know are put in front of the media. That's one of the biggest things as well. And so I would say that those are the commonalities. The differences are just that, the the difference of experience. So, you know, I think just essentially just our cultures can be sometimes different, but at the same time, they're so similar. When you think about indigenous culture across North, Central, South America, we all have the same beatings. We all have a type of rainbow skirt. We all have the drum that is essential and crucial to us, you know, to our heartbeat. And so the the work with the Indigenous Summit was important to me because actually uh, my 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 last name Kasha is actually Kachikel. It, it means uh, strength of the river. So it's it's a Mayan last name from Guatemala, and it's a, it's an area it's a, an area of my life that I'm still discovering, you know, and I'm still getting to know and understand what the traditions are, what things mean, etc. And and some people here in Canada are miles and miles ahead of me in that regard and getting to know their culture more and really being at the forefront and being proud of it, you know? And so that's what I see is that those are some differences where it's like sometimes some have, have taken the lead and let's say like making their stance. And so those are setting examples for other 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 cultures as well, which is beautiful to see as well. For sure. And, and there's also, a, there's a difference, I think a generational difference as well, right? From my generation, perhaps to yours, that in my generation, we also had to flee um, Uruguay also under the dictatorship. So we have 50 years of legacy, right, in Latin America, uh, and a very complicated relationship with, with the, state, the United States um, of, of people having to leave their homes, leave their countries, disappeared people up and down the continent, right? Um, and that legacy has implications for how we conduct ourselves, the kind of music we make, the kind of art that we make. Um, and that is very much not understood. But I think where the generational difference comes between your generation and mine is that in my generation, um, speaking Spanish in an English-speaking country was a mark of shame, right? Uh, claiming a Latin American identity was shameful. Having, you know, with this, with my name, it was always, do you have a nickname? Oh, do you have an American name, right? Whereas I, I see now in the current generation, there's a, a difference, right, of, of openly being proud of the Latina identity, openly being proud of, of our mixed heritages, right, and of speaking Spanish. And it's part of what I'm trying to do, what we're, our whole team is trying to do with Gitoras, right, to show the enormous diversity that there is um, in cultures and approaches, but that we all share certain common um, certain common strengths and certain common um, 
uh, I guess, values or intentions uh, and pride in our culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I see. I see that. And that's something that like, I'm, I'm envious of the, the, the generation below mine, like Gen Z, yes. Gen Z, sorry, Gen Z, um, that is below mine, because, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. Like I was, I was still in that in between, you know, where like, I grew up without I remember our first computer, like that was the first one that was out, you know, and like, I remember the dial up internet, I remember all of that. And so I didn't grow up with social media all around me where there were social uh, media channels and accounts that were that like pride of like wearing the Latina culture on your show, you know, like, you know, the, the big hoop culture, like that's, that's incredible to me. Like if I had grown up with that, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, I would feel like so empowered, you know, and luckily I feel it now, you know, and, but I'm like in my thirties, you know, and like, you know, my mid thirties and had I felt it in my twenties, oh my gosh, I think the potential would have been incredible, you know, and like, I'm not just, I'm not just speaking about myself. I just mean for like my generation, you know, so that's the beauty of like us being able to connect right now. And I I see what you're saying that like, just, there is this like pride that is that, and that's amazing. It's amazing that, and it's amazing to then learn from each other and learn how we're so different, but then understand how we're so similar, you know, and that's, that's, that's incredible to me. Yeah. The, the hoops that hit me right here. <laughs> yeah. um, the hoops, it's, it's, I put away my hoops many years ago. And then recently I've, I have felt again, very comfortable wearing my hoops. So I have a lot of hoops now, but the hoop earrings, Good. absolutely. <laughs> oh, I'm all about the big earrings. And, and wearing red, wearing red and red and black in the hoops. I mean, it's back. Yeah. Because it's uh, that's that's absolutely true. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember also at the Grammys many years ago, decades ago, even when Ricky Martin performed uh, La Copa de la Vida. It was right before the oh, World yeah, Cup. Oh yeah, I do remember that. And I just uh-huh. remember looking at the you know the audience through the through the TV and the Grammys, and people were excited and you know respectful and excited, enthusiastic, and just feeling the sense of relief um, mm-hmm. that that they were greeting him that way, and the sense of pride also, right? That's something that oh, yeah. c- had come from our cultures that our cultures had created was being you know recognized, and, and and you can say whatever you know you can think whatever you want about the quality of that song or whatever, but that it was in Spanish, in an English yeah. setting, in that culture, and mm-hmm. that it wasn't treated as some kind of exotic, you know, yeah. it was was amazing. Yeah. Oh no, that's it's it's incredible to see it on stage. I remember too when um, Jorge Drexler won the Oscar. Yes. Oh, right. Uruguay. Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay. Yeah, yes. It's <laughs> ours. Yes. And like, and they had Antonio Banderas like sing that, which is fine, <laughs> but he's Spanish and not yeah. a singer, and so that was. <laughs> but I loved just that he went. He didn't try to speak in English. Nothing. He just sang the song. That's yeah. what was so beautiful about that acceptance. It was amazing because that was the pride in and of itself. Yes, but it, it also shows you where the industry was at the time that they had a Spaniard who's not a singer interpreting yeah. you know, a song that was from South America. Right? So 100%. there was a way to go. There was a way to go. But now you see all sorts of different groups and singers that are just appearing and winning awards and speaking yeah. Spanish, and it's 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 much it's becoming more and more commonplace. So festivals like yours are so important and. I can't imagine the the perseverance and the work that it's taken for this festival to be on year after year for 29 years. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was that's actually an having, enormous undertaking. Yeah. yeah, it was. I was actually having a conversation this morning uh, with my partner, and just you know, we received some some not so great news about a grant. And you know, one of the one of the comments was, uh, you know, it wasn't innovative enough. And so I just like lost my mind because it was within the city itself. It was a grant from the city. And so I just said to myself, why do we need to keep justifying our existence when we're clearly serving, you know, the the global majority within our city? And so I just don't understand why we haven't had this level of support and that that was the comment. And so I'm, I'm all for taking constructive criticism. I am 100%. It makes you better. Um, and I do believe that this comment will make me better just regardless, but I'm still, I'm still processing it on camera right now with you. Uh, but it's one of those things of saying like, well, what do you think it is? You know, well, what do you think? It is? We're presenting new genres on stage. We're presenting brand new groups and collaborations. We're doing first time tours for so many bands from all over the world into Canada. Um, I would like to know how more innovative we can get. <laughs> you want me to have some kind of hologram going? Yeah. Well, someone's already done that. <laughs> I think the only, frankly, Mercedes, the only thing you're missing is cover bands. I think that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Bon Jovi needs some pro- bon presence. <laughs> Spanish language interpretations of Bon Jovi would be 100%. amazing. But, but, to, but that goes to your comment of like every year we have to, justify our existence and we're a small organization we're three and a half people that put on not only the festival i say you see a half because it was part-time uh but like we we put on not only this massive festival but we put on concerts throughout the year we do our outreach work throughout the year we collaborate with other organizations so it's year-round work that we're doing and it's not just this and it culminates let's say into this festival but that's not the only thing that we do so it's like as much as we're proud of the numbers of people that come out, of the numbers of artists that we help out. During pandemic, we're still helping out techs and artists and venues by doing uh, online programming, things like that. Um, But what we are most proud about is the social impact. Making sure and seeing that families are coming, families that wouldn't normally be able to afford a ticket, families that wouldn't see their culture represented on stage ever. You know, people coming, waving their flags, proud that we're finally presenting somebody from Senegal or that we're finally presenting somebody from Palestine. That was huge. Like we had droves of people coming out. It was the first band coming to Canada from Palestine that was at our festival. And so those are things that we're so proud of is to see the people out front enjoying. So that social impact, it's... It's worth it's worth the struggle of every year because every yeah. year it's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and every year you have to innovate. Hello, London, Ontario. You have to innovate on how you approach that funding. Yeah. Uh, so, Mercedes, I want to. Uh, we we're, we're in our final stretch of our conversation, and I, I I think our conversation is going to continue offline for many many years to come. But in this in this context, I want to ask you um, for our younger uh, listeners and for young, especially particularly young women, who want to do the kind of work that you do, right? Who are interested in festivals in particular and want to and want to work on um, the way that you do it, right? Deep thinking about access and representation. So let's say that there's somebody like you, um, but, but, you know, but just starting out, what advice would you give to her? I would say that there are many times that you want to give up, (laughs) but don't because for, you know, I'm sure there's many people that do because it's too hard, you know, but it's worth it. 
it's worth it because no matter what, you're making a difference in someone's life, at least one. And so, and if, and that one will be your own for sure. A hundred percent, because as long as you're living like what you want and your truth, your own personality, your own femininity, everything, you're making a difference in your life. Because when I like one of my things of uh, one of my uh, uneasiness, I suppose that I had uh, one of my fears that I had before really fully on grasping my role of working with my father, being a co-artistic director with him was this imposter syndrome. Do I deserve this? Which many women face, right? Do I deserve this? Was it just handed to me? Did I work really hard for it? Yes or no. Uh, will people only see me as like a female, smaller version of, of Alfredo, which is my dad? Well, like, will they take me seriously? Like, well, the, there's so many doubts, you know? And so I think just in the end is that there's so many reasons that the world will tell you to quit and your own insecurities will tell you to quit, but just don't. Because ultimately, like once you continue, you'll see that difference that's in your life. And I've never had a more fulfilling time in my career than now, because I've been really just saying, I'm not him. I'm not this person. I'm, I'm myself. This is what I do. This is what I believe in. I thank everybody who works with me because I learn from them every day. But ultimately, there's a way in which I work and that I want to continue. Um, and that's been influenced by many other people, just as we should. We should all share knowledge. We should all learn from each other. But ultimately, I would just say, just don't quit because you're always going to make a difference, at least in one person's life. And that one person's yourself. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely beautiful. I'm going to tattoo it on myself somewhere because, <laughs> because it, I mean, you're, you're speaking to the imposter syndrome in a way you're saying that keeping doing the work that you love, that you believe in is a way to also build yourself, build your strength, build that, um, that sense of like, this is, I'm doing what, where, what I'm supposed to do. And I am where I belong, where I'm supposed to be. So um, as you know, uh, here in Gertoras, we ask each one of our guests to leave a question for someone else. So I'm going to ask you the question that somebody left um, in our question bank for you. And this comes from Alicia Olivares from Peru. Uh, she is an actress and uh, founder of the Afro Mujeres en Escena, so Afro Afro Women on Scene, uh, which supports uh, women of African descent who uh, either are in the film industry or in the theater industry. So here's Alicia's question. What are the challenges and difficulties that you're going to have to resolve or, you're gonna, or you will encounter in order to be successful in your next arts management, cultural management project? So what is the next project and, and what kinds of things are you already thinking, mm, I'm going to have to deal with that? Uh, well, I'm going to have to deal, I think I've already kind of mentioned it throughout this session, it's just, uh, just that constant justification to people who don't understand and don't get it because they live in their own little bubble in terms of, oh, well, this is how we've done it for 35, 40, 50, 100 years. And so therefore, why do we need, like, why do we need indigenous voices represented at the table? I don't understand. That's never been an issue before. Why do we need Latinx culture represented or, or African culture? It doesn't, no, like that doesn't make sense to me. You think that that doesn't exist anymore? That is not the case. It a hundred percent does, and like, and that's it's that's the challenge that I have to face and accept that I have to face and overcome the fact that I'm going to have to face that frustration. I guess you could say, but move forward regardless and move forward with the project and understand that there will be some no's, there will be some rejections. It'll happen, but just to continue moving forward. So I think 
that's been the most difficult process. There's always challenges that come up. Everything can seem like it's smooth sailing that all of a sudden something comes and it, it, it happens. But I would say that just that constant gatekeeping that happens at different levels, whether it be artistic programming, whether it be grant funding, whether it be permit building, or whether it be um, marketing access or news or media access, there's a constant gatekeeping that's still there. And that's that challenge that I still have to face. Yeah. And it comes, I think, also from a lack of curiosity, right? Uh, it comes from fear and and a lack of curiosity about what, or openness about how would this be better? How What you were saying earlier, right? How we all learn from each other, how accepting, you know, new viewpoints and new ideas helps us be better. Uh, yes. I, I, I encounter, I encounter that a lot too. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, yes. Yes. Yeah. Where's the flexibility? You know what I mean? Where's the flexibility? Where's the adaptability? Understanding that our society has changed and it has different needs. It's demanding things now as opposed to staying quiet. So, and that's amazing. Um, and so for me, you know, a lot of people ask me like, oh, this event's happening during Sunfest weekend. Does it bother you? I say, no, the more events that happen, the better, because then people come out and people come together and then they can travel in between events. And that's amazing because ultimately it's all about, making sure that we're enjoying, but that we're coming together as a community. That's so important because we can't just stay in our homes. Otherwise we're just, especially in Canada, it's too cold. <laughs> we can't just stay in our homes all year round. Summer needs to be that time where it everybody comes out. Yeah. out. And, and uh, I mean, we've talked yeah. about difficulties, but what gives you joy? Where, where, where does your joy come from? What things do you enjoy most about what you do? Oh my God. My joy comes from seeing a band on stage and seeing people dance. It's that simple. I just like seeing people happy and dancing. When people are dancing, they're happy. That's that's all I know. And I love, like, it's that simple. I know it, like, there should be some elaborate whatever. I'm like, I just love seeing people dance in front of a live band that, like, is really, they're artists on stage, you know. I, that's what I love the most. And, like, that will continue to bring me joy. I, I sometimes get worried because London is very... Like I had a DJ come in from Chicago, actually. He's a global DJ. And um, he came in. He's like, I think London's the the lawn chair capital of the world. <laughs> because there's so many people just kind of like in their lawn chairs dancing, you know. And he's like, they don't get up to dance. So I'm like, I know, I know. So sometimes like it just happens. But we got a lot of lawn chairs. <laughs> people in their lawn chairs. But as long as they're kind of moving and shaking, that's cool. <laughs> That is that is hilarious. You you have a major branding opportunity there. The Sunfest lawn chair, major Whoa. major. Thank you. <laughs> right, right. Lawn chairs and like those little the smaller folding chairs or the stools yeah. branded <laughs> with Sunfest. You're welcome. Thank, <laughs> so, you. Thank you. I'll come visit you on the proceeds. <laughs> All right. So so Mercedes, to finish up, uh, this has been just a absolutely delightful conversation. I've enjoyed this so much. I've learned so much from you and, and gotten so much energy from from your enthusiasm and. Thank and your can do. Um, I want to ask you, uh, do you have a question that you want to leave for someone else? Yes. What is um, it? I would like to know, um, how are you embracing and, and presenting your femininity as you're moving forward? I got that question to me a while back ago on a panel and I kept thinking about it. And what does femininity mean to you? And like, you know, so how are you embracing and presenting your femininity within your work? All right. I will ask that question then. <laughs> thank you very, very much for, for everything. Oh, you feel so generous with your time and your knowledge and, and your candor. And that is very much appreciated. <laughs> thank That's you. My best. Thank you, Jimena. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> 
This episode of Gestoras was hosted by Jimena Varela and produced by Anush Titanian. It was recorded in Washington, D.C. and London, Ontario, Canada. It was mixed at the Arts Management Program at American University, Washington, D.C. The music was Hace Que Exista, Make It Exist by Eli Elmik. And the graphic design was by Bia Silva. Find us on YouTube at Gestoras and on Instagram and Facebook at Gestoras Podcast. Thank you for listening.